Well, welcome everybody, and we're into a new series this week. We're into a series entitled The Gospel, and this is part one, if you're joining us for the first time. And for those joining us, welcome Ireland. I've always got with them first, you know, the Celtic kind of thing. Ireland and Missouri are joining us, Canada and Oregon, Spain, Arkansas, Texas, and a few guests on there too as well. So welcome all. And today, as I say, we're starting a new series entitled The Gospel, and we're going to come to an understanding of that. So today we're going to be looking at the fundamental aspects of the Christian faith. Yeah. And the subtitle now for today may surprise many, because the subtitle today is The Gospel is only addressed to God's redeemed. The reason though this subtitle may surprise many is that most of Christian today is teaching namely to win the lost and we're going to see and understand some of these terms yeah they're good they're out to win and save the lost yeah now some of these terms we're already superimposing meanings onto without going to the scriptures but as we get through this series we're going to be going to the scriptures defining exactly what these terms mean from a scriptural basis not necessarily how we've been taught them not necessarily how much of christendom is teaching them yeah because we have to clarify what these terms mean from the scriptures from the scriptures, not just because you've been taught a certain thing, that what winning is and what who the lost are, yeah? We've got to go to who the scriptures say they are, yeah? And that's going to be fundamental to us. And also it's going to be painful for a lot of us, yeah? Because we've been taught error for so long that we find it so difficult at times to come back to what the scriptures actually say, yeah? And rather than that, rather than the discomfort of changing from that, we hang on to the error and hang on to what we already believe. Yeah, and it's so fundamental that we understand this. So we're going to see the definitions according to the scripture. Yeah, and which, by the way, don't necessarily align with what you and I have been taught through the theological systems of this world. Yeah. So when that, when you see that conflict, guess what? You choose what the scriptures say. Yeah. Well, that sounds really easy to say, but boys, it's difficult to do at times. Yeah. And we'll find, we've all found that to a large extent through our lives. So we're going to be looking at the words win, yeah, saved, lost, and we're not going to get to all of them today, but we are going to be looking at these and ensure that we understand them according to the scriptures. Before we do that, we should first define the word gospel, shouldn't we? Because when I say gospel, what does that mean to you? For many, the gospel are the scriptures, aren't they? It's the Bible, yeah? But is it the Bible? <laughs> yeah? There's absolutely no doubt the Bible contains the truth of the gospel, but it also contains truth concerning many other aspects of life as well. Yeah. Yeah? And the gospel now cannot be separated from the Bible, from the scriptures. Neither can the Bible be separated from the gospel. They're an integrated whole that cannot be added to, subtracted from, or changed in any way. And we're in absolutely no doubt about that. Yeah? Yet today, so much confusion has crept into the church now, did you hear that word? Crept into the church. Yeah? And do you realize that creeping is a satanic trait of the devil? Yeah? He creeps in. You don't see him coming. You and I do not see him coming. He comes as if he's part of the authentic structure of Christendom. Yeah? That's how he comes in. Because Satan seldom uses fanfare to announce his intentions. He really doesn't. His power is in the stealth of his moves. That's his power. To go undetected within the church. Did you hear that? Within the church. 
Now, I put a picture of a stealth bomber in your notes here. Have you got that? Yeah. 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 And I put a picture of a stealth bomber. What's it do? Dropping bombs. Because <laughs> that's what stealth bombers are designed to do. Yeah. But a stealth bomber is designed to do just more than that. A lot more than that. A stealth bomber is designed really, really deadly because of its ability to fly undetected under the radar systems of the enemy. Now, I know there's at least one military guy listening to us today, yeah, and he'll be able to relate to this probably more than all of us. But these stealth bombers, they've got the target firmly fixed, right? And then the bombs get dropped before anyone even realizes it's even in the vicinity. Do you see that? And that's just the way Satan has crept into many of the theological systems of this world, and Satan has dropped his bomb doctrines, yeah, his bomb doctrines, into many of the current established church systems of this world. Yeah? Namely, the strategy he has is to hide the gospel of Christ's coming kingdom here on earth. That's the main reason. And we're going to see it as we go through this series. Now these systems now are the standard. Yeah, These systems are the standard. Having had these bombs of uh, satanic doctrine dropped into their systems... These systems are now the standard by which we are all judged. Yeah? That's how we're all judged. Despite many of them not using the accuracy of Scripture, you and I will be judged by what can often be satanic doctrines of Satan himself. Because we know and we've seen before, that's exactly how Satan works. He works through the church. Yeah. Yeah? And he's been doing that for hundreds and hundreds of years. So have you ever heard people saying, oh yeah, yeah, hold on a minute, but these systems, they've been around for years. There's millions of people following these systems. Can't be all wrong. (laughs) Yeah? Can't be all wrong. Is that right? According to Scripture. Well, no, it's not. According to the Scriptures, it's not right. Yeah? Now today I'm not saying they are all wrong. What I am saying is they're only right, and you and I are only right, When we compare it to Scripture, when we go to the Scripture, the Scripture verifies what we're teaching and it is accurate according to the Scripture. Not because there's millions of people in large white gowns throwing incense around and because they've got millions of people following them, well, they must be right. They're intelligent people. The systems, the political systems of the world back them. Yeah, So they can't be all bad. Yeah. So just because people have decrees in theology and do nothing else but study the scriptures is not the benchmark by which you and I attribute to them as being the servants of Jesus Christ. Yeah? Remember we saw it last week. A true servant of Jesus Christ will be teaching what the true Christ taught. Yeah? There's a good benchmark. (laughs) Yeah? There's a good benchmark. Figure out what they're teaching. Does it line up with what Jesus Christ taught? I'll get rid of a few. I'll get rid of a few. Remember we saw in Galatians? When they were steered off and distorted from the true gospel. Remember that? To another gospel. Many of these church systems are teaching another gospel. We're going to see that in this series as part of the reason that we're uh, doing this series. right? And we'll see it over the weeks to come. If you haven't already seen it. And many of us have. Yeah. Because I'll be making sure we all see it over the weeks to come. Right? So today, I want to do something that is really fundamental for us to understand. I want to state the problem. Yeah? 
state and define the problem up front for us, yeah, as we get into the scriptures, in relation to the title of the sharing today. What we're going to see is that many are on the wrong course. Remember we went through the series just recently. Yeah, I spent six weeks defining and talking about running in the race, understanding the course that we're on. Yeah, It's critical for us to do that and to understand it. We're going to see that we cannot afford to stray off the course. But do you know who defined the course? Jesus Christ defined the course. The apostles, Paul and the apostles defined the course. And we've got to understand and ensure that we're on that course. Yeah? And that's going to be critical for us as we go through this. So let's first define in general terms the course much of Christianity is on, which is part of the real issue. Yeah? It's part of the problem. And we'll see that as we go on here. Now, we're going to allow the scriptures to define the terms of these subjects, as I say, as we're going on through this series. Yeah, that's critical. We're not going to define it by going to theological systems of this world and, and hear what they've got to say. Yeah? We've got to get back to what the scriptures say. Yeah? So here's a rhetorical question. If I asked us all the question, what is the goal of the Christian church today? Yeah? In terms of its evangelism, what would the many say? And by the way, what most of us would have said until fairly recently. Yeah? So we don't need to be pointing the fingers at anybody. Yeah. This definition I'm going to give of what the church defines in general terms now I'm talking. Yeah. Yeah? So don't write me, don't email me saying, well, that's not what I believe. I'm in the church. I go to a church and that's not what we say. Yeah? This is a general <laughs> definition of what evangelism is in the current church. Listen up now. It's where the church preaches the gospel to the lost. Yeah? Those who are outside of the church, who don't know God, and we're to persuade them to make Jesus Lord in their lives. We're get, we've got to get them to believe in the resurrection, that, that Jesus was resurrected from the dead. Yeah? That he was the son of God, and that he died on the cross for their sins. In general terms, that's where the church is. Yeah? And that's where I've been for many, many years in my life. 30 odd years of my life doing that. Now, I don't believe we'll hear many people hear many objections to that because it's fairly general in terms of what the definition of evangelism is in the church. Yeah? Now, not everyone's going to agree with that, by the way. And that's no surprise to any of us. Yeah? Now, I know I may be accused of you know, making general statements like that, but I can't cover. Yeah? Every, every person's idea, not even the 38,000 ideas. You need to put up your tent outside if we're going to go through that. Yeah. Yeah, but in general terms, that is part of the issue. In other words, reaching, what, what the church is doing is reaching, now, bear in mind, this is in their minds, yeah, reaching those who are, quote, lost, yeah, yeah. and who need to be saved. Yeah? Now, we've not allowed the scriptures, as I say, to define these terms for us, but we're going to do that over the weeks ahead. I'm going to throw out some of the ways uh, and that this is done, yeah, in terms of the world's evangelism. Some ways that we hear of that the world churches use to reach people. And remember, they're reaching the lost. Those outside of the church, in their minds, yeah, who are very often quoted as being dead in trespasses and sin, and without God and without hope. Now, I went to the fountainhead of all truth, Wikipedia. Yeah, so you can all check this out. But Wikipedia, when it defined evangelism, here's their definition of evangelism. This is not the scriptural definition, but it's the definition forward by Wikipedia. So, you know, take it as it is. 
Evangelism, it says, I'm quoting here, evangelism refers, evangelism refers to the practice of relaying information about a particular set of beliefs to others who do not hold those beliefs. The term is often used in reference to Christianity, where the scriptures often describe, quote, evangelism as spreading the gospel. Did you get that? Spreading the gospel. Yeah. It then goes on to give some examples. I think I put them in your notes, didn't I? Yeah. Let's rattle through these. Open-air preaching. Some of these will be very familiar to us. Open-air preaching. Trickle-down evangelism. Now, I'm not going to teach you these. You can go on there and have a look if you want. Door-to-door evangelism. Evangelizing through a sermon, which this will be classed as. Yeah. Lifestyle evangelism. Friendship evangelism. Creative evangelism. Using gospel tracts. Tele-evangelism. Radio evangelism, internet evangelism, phone evangelism, personal evangelism, creation evangelism, prophetic evangelism, treasure hunts, would you believe, and using the Evan Cube. Never heard of that in my life. But you can go on YouTube and see a guy doing that, using a, one of these cubes. Evangelistic cube. There you go. That'll win a lot of people, won't it? Yeah. <laughs> now, last but not least, Wikipedia also informs us under the same heading, if you do go and read this, that there's a group in Ireland, a music group called the Evangelists. Would you believe that? From Donegal, Ireland, and Derry, Northern Ireland, two groups called the Evangelists. These Irish get everywhere, don't they? Either even on Wikipedia. So we see many different methods of evangelizing, don't we? A whole different group, a whole different ways and tools people use to, quote, evangelize. And I'm not here to judge which is right or wrong, yeah? What I want to focus on is the who. Did you hear that? The who. And that's not the band, not the rock band. It's the who we're focusing on. Yeah? And you might start now, when you having read through that, start to realize who the church is focusing on. Yeah? They're focusing on those outside of the church. And I don't think I would be wrong in saying that the majority are focused on what the scriptures call the outsiders. That's what the scripture refers to as those outside of the church. Those who are not redeemed by God are referred to as the outsiders. Now, a lot of people call them unbelievers, yeah, or the unredeemed, yeah, which is not a scriptural term, by the way, found in the scriptures, unredeemed, but they're the outsiders, yeah. And we're going to see how critical it is to understanding the scriptures and relating as to who, did you hear that? Who we are to be focused on, yeah. And this is the main issue, and as we're going, to, we're going to be seeing is because, do you understand that this is not where Jesus Christ was focused? Do you understand that he was not focused on those outside of the redeemed of Israel and trying to get them into his group? He was so focused and totally focused on the lost sheep of the house of Israel. He made that so clear, so clear to us, so plain to us in the scriptures. Do you know something else? Paul and the apostles weren't focused on these outsiders either. There's a bit of a clue there. Yeah? Where we're to be focused. Yeah? Paul and the apostles, we're going to see as we go through this series, were very much focused on those who God had elected. And we're going to see it. Yeah? Over the months and weeks to come. So the greatest representatives of God that ever hit the face of this planet, yeah, were not focused on those outside of the church. They were firmly focused and had their sights fixed on God's redeemed, God's elect. There's a clue there where we should be. Yeah, and there's, it's very clear to us when we look in the world 
that that is not where the church is for the most part. Yeah. Do you think there's a clue there? We're going to see it as we go through the scriptures we're going to look at today. It's absolutely so clear in scripture where we're to put our focus. So even at this early stage, we should be asking the question, if the greatest representatives of God who ever lived, and who some of them actually recorded the scriptures, were not focused on the outsiders, yeah, why the heck is a church today focused on them? Now, do you remember that stealth bomber we talked about? It's part of the influence of Satan is why they're focused on it. Yeah, and we're going to see that. I believe, and I think the scriptures are going to confirm over the next few weeks, It's a diversion tactic of Satan. It's a diversion tactic of Satan to do that. But why do I say that? Why do I say that? Because if the church had focused on the outsiders, yeah? If the church had focused on the outsiders, guess what? They're not focused on the insiders. Yeah? They're not focused on the insiders. Now, there's another scriptural term that's not used. Yeah? But they're not focused on the redeemed, which is the scriptural term. They're not focused on the redeemed. They've got their whole focus on those outside of the church and winning them to Jesus, yeah, as they would put it. So there's a, there is so much more than a clue there for all of us, yeah, as to where our focus is to be. And we'll be seeing that throughout the scriptures as we get into this series. So Satan's strategy, yeah, Satan's strategy now is to get the church diverted from Looking at the redeemed and get them looking at the outsiders. Now, I thought I'd look up Wikipedia again, yeah, as to what strategy means, and we'll look at it in a minute. But a strategy is a longer-term tactic, yeah. It's a longer. We're going to see the difference between strategy and tactics, yeah. But strategy has got a much longer-term goal in mind, and we're going to see that. His strategy. Now, listen up here. His strategy is to work from the inside out. Satan's strategy is to work from the inside of the church out the way. Not from the outside in. Yeah? And Jesus covered this over 2,000 years ago. Remember when we looked at the weeds? He said they're going to be sown. Satan is going to sow these weeds into the church. They're going to be growing up alongside you. They're going to look so authentic, so realistic, you will not be able to tell them apart. But they are the tools of Satan. They're the tools of Satan. So we better be careful in analyzing what we're doing and how we're structuring our ministries in terms of looking and understanding who it is that's been addressed in Scripture. Yeah? Because there's no invasion happening from the outside, for the most part. It's happening. His invasion is coming from the inside. Yeah? And we better waken up to it. We better waken up to it. Because most of the church is looking at the outside for the persecution. Most of the stuff going on in the name of Satan is going on within the church. Yeah? Yeah. Now, when we read this definition of strategy, I want us to be thinking of where we are in Christendom today. And that's why I'm reading this, this uh, definition. Strategy, again, according to Wikipedia. But listen up. There's a bit of learning here in terms of how Satan is working in the church. Strategy, a word of military origin refers to a plan of action, so I'm quoting here, refers to a plan of action designed to achieve a particular goal. You understand? A particular goal. In military usage, strategy is distinct from tactics, which are concerned with the conduct of an engagement. So there's a lot more detail in, ta- in tactics. Do you see that? 
while strategy is concerned with how different engagements are what? Linked. We've got to watch Satan's strategy because they're often are going to see different tactics under that strategy which are linked. And we're going to see why they're linked as we get through the series. It's how a battle is fought, sorry, how a battle is fought is a matter of tactics. The terms and conditions that it is fought on and whether it should be fought at all is a matter of strategy, which is part of the four levels of warfare, political goals, grand strategy, strategy and operations and tactics. Yeah, fantastic definition. When you understand what Satan is doing within the church. He has got an overall goal and one of his overall goals is to ensure that the children of the kingdom never receive their inheritance in that coming earthly kingdom. But he's got a whole pile of tactics to get that done. Do you understand? But each of these tactics are linked up because he's got that overall goal because we know the parable of the soils, don't we? All his tactics virtually are linked up to that strategy. Yeah. No matter how they look, no matter how they manifest themselves, they're linked up with each other to ensure his goal is achieved. Now, an interesting definition of tactic. A tactic here is a conceptual action. In military usage, a military tactic is used by a military unit of no larger than a division to implement a specific mission and achieve a specific objective or to advance through a specific goal. A tactic is implemented as one or more tasks. You see, it's a level of detail, isn't it? It's a level of detail that's, that's, that's lying under the overall strategy. Yeah? And strategy is very often defined by the higher military leadership and the higher, again, political leadership. So if they have a strategy. We're going to take over this nation because of whatever reason. And here are some of the details as to how we're going to tactically carry that out. Satan is virtually no different. And he does it with fantastic stealth because none of us are looking at him. So much of the church is not looking at him because they're looking outside. And he's inside. There's nothing greater than having a man on the inside. Ask anybody in the CIA, MI5 or any other organization, FBI. They cannot virtually break any of these mafia groups or any other crime groups unless they get somebody on the inside. And once they get somebody on the inside working for them, these organizations virtually fold because they've got information they could never get anywhere else. How do you think Satan works? Exactly the same way. Yeah? Exactly the same way. So the church now has taken their focus off the redeemed. Do you see that? Those who God has redeemed are now they're virtually only focusing on the outsiders. In other words, they're trying to reach the wrong people. Yeah. <laughs> they're trying to reach the wrong people. Now, there's a popular stance. Just watch the response you get when you start sharing this evangelical message. Yeah, you better start ducking. There are a lot of right hooks coming our way. Yeah, but that's what we're going to see in the scriptures. Yeah, and we're going to see how Satan has deceived so much of the church into focusing on the outsiders, yeah, rather than on the redeemed. Now, do you know how many times the term outsider or outsiders, the plural, are used in scriptures? Do you know how many times? Fifteen times. Now, there's 1,189 chapters in the Bible. An outsider, an outsider, an outsiders was used 15 times. 
That's 31,103 verses. You wonder what I was doing last night. Yeah? In almost 32,000 verses, or 31,000 verses, it's used 15 times. Do you think that's God's focus? Now, there's other terms for pagans in the Bible, I know that. But I'm talking about these specific terms. Do you think that's what God's focused on? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. And it's a massive indication to us who God cares about. And we're going to cover that in this series, because a lot of people think God loves the world. We're going to see he doesn't love the world. Now, there's a term, world. What have we all got in our minds? Oh, the globe, everybody. Yeah, it's not what the scriptures teach. Yeah, we'll see it throughout this. And we're going to be looking at what God thinks of these outsiders as well throughout, throughout this series. Yeah, what does he actually think about the outsiders? And it's not what you and I think. Now, there's a surprise. <laughs> yeah, but we're going to see it from the scriptures, what he does think of them. So the question we want to answer today is to whom are the scriptures addressed? Yeah, now you think that'd be so fundamental, wouldn't you? But we're going to see it today. It's not fundamental for so many. Yeah. This understanding of who the scriptures are written for and who they're addressed to is absolutely critical for us to understand. And it should be so clear that the outsiders are not even in the ranking with that statistic I just gave you. Yeah. They're not even in the ranking. They're not even on the they're not even in sight. Yeah. Yeah? Yet the majority of the theological system of this world will disagree with that. Why is that? Because they've determined who the scriptures are addressed to in their own minds, regardless of what God shows us by revelation in the scriptures. Yeah. So let's just go and look at the address labels in the scriptures. Yeah. I know there's some postmen listening to this, some male men, so they'll relate to this. Now, would any of us even consider opening up the mail that was not addressed to us? We get different mail coming into our house addressed to, obviously, different people within the house. I would never consider it. Now, I have opened up Ian's mail, because he's got the same name as me. Yeah, but only because my name was on it. And if there's any checks in there, it's always to me. Yeah. And by the way, I want to thank you for the amount of work he's put into the setup of our church here. Yeah. And also, you know, the amount of time and money he has put into this is phenomenal. Yeah. And same way with so many of you. And so many of you that are out there listening to this, yeah, who have donated to our ministry here, I want to thank you personally for that. Bill's given us all this stuff. I know he loved me telling you all about this, but uh, camera stuff and all this stuff and the, that we use to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's so much appreciated. Yeah. yeah. So, you don't open mail that's not addressed to you, do you? Right? So, if it's not got your name on it, leave it alone. Yeah? So let's start in what's commonly referred to as the New Testament. Have you ever heard that phrase, Koshiha? Now, we should understand that just because the translators decided to print off a page, stick it in the Bible, and say New Testament, doesn't make it New Testament. And it's not divinely inspired. It's not necessarily given by the authority, divine authority of God. Yeah. So when we look at our Bibles, we've got New Testament, page, New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John after it. Yeah. Well, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are not New Testament. They're the fulfillment of the Old Testament. They're the fulfillment of Christ's ministry, his fulfillment of the Old Covenant, essentially, where it's his life, his death, his ministry, his uh, resurrection, his ascension. Yeah, that's what's covered in that Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the Gospels. Yeah, And then we have the book of Acts, don't we, after that? 
And the book of Acts is essentially the rise and the expansion of the Christian church. Yeah, a lot of fantastic records in there. But essentially it covers the rise and the expansion, but also the ascension, the day of Pentecost, a number of different records there. But how the church got on in the early stages of how, when they were ministering to people. And the book of Acts covers approximately a 30-year period. Yeah? So we're going to start at the book of Romans, which is the next book. And we're going to go through this. Now, are you ready for some speed reading? <laughs> You know speed reading is? You read really fast. Because we're going to cover every book in the New Testament, yeah, in the Greek scriptures, as to who they're addressed to. Yeah? So it's going to give us a feel, isn't it? It's going to give us an understanding of who God is talking about. Why the scriptures have been written. These are all so fundamental things for us to understand. But you understand that most people don't. Most people think the Bible was written for those who don't know God, and if they read enough of it, if they hear enough of it, they're going to believe it and come to Jesus and let Jesus into their heart. Another non-scriptural term. Yeah? And we're going to see the scriptures are written to the redeemed. Okay, you ready? Listen up now. Romans 1.7. Now we're only going to be reading one or two verses in each book, so we're going to read it fairly quickly. 1.7 says, To all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints... Now, now there's a great start. The saints! (laughs) Yeah? The redeemed! Now, don't let me stop at every verse. Yeah? Otherwise, we're going to be here all day. Right? So, 1 Corinthians 1 2. To the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints, together with those who in every place call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours. 2 Corinthians 1 1. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the church of God that is at Corinth, with all the who? Saints! Who are in the whole of Ikea. Galatians 1 1. Paul, an apostle, not from men, nor through man, but through Jesus Christ, and God the Father, who raised him from the dead, and all the brothers who are with me. Ephesians 1 1. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus, and to who? The faithful in Christ Jesus. Philippians 1 1. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseers and deacons. He's trying to get the message. <laughs> yeah? Focus now, right? In case you miss how these, who these books are addressed to. Uh, and there's a prize at the end if you get it right. Not. Yeah? So Colossians 1 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ. <laughs> At Colossae. 1 Thessalonians 1.1 Paul, Silvanus and Timothy to the church of the Thessalonians in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. 2 Thessalonians 1.1 Paul, Silvanus and Timothy to the church of the Thessalonians in God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Anyone getting the message yet? Yeah? It's kind of hard to miss this, isn't it? <laughs> but most of the church has missed it. Now, Let's take a break, a little break, a little breather here from the speed reading, yeah, and look at why we have the Hebrew scriptures, the Old Testament. Look at Romans 15:4, and this is in relation to why we have the Hebrew scriptures, often referred to as the Old Testament. Romans 15:4, for whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures we might have what hope, yeah. Now let me ask you, who's the we referring to? Is this referring to the outsider? Of course not. It's those we read about earlier in chapter 1, verse 7 of Romans, because this is in Romans, yeah, 
It's to all those in Rome who are called by God and called to be saints. So that we have the Hebrew Scriptures as an example yeah, for our lives. Yeah, look at 1 Corinthians 10.11. Now these things happen to them as what? As an example. Yeah. But they were written down. Right? For our instruction. Who's the hour? One one told us of Corinthians. On whom the end of the ages has come. Do you see why we've got the Hebrew Scriptures? They're written down for our example. For our example. Not for the example of the outsiders. So that covers us from Genesis all the way to Romans. Why all that's written down? It's for the redeemed. It's for you and I. And we've so lost this. So the Hebrew Scriptures, as well as all the quote New Testament, is addressed to God's redeemed. Do you see that? It's all addressed to the redeemed. Now, God does refer to other people in the Scriptures. Look at 1 Corinthians 10.32. Give no, no, no offense to Jews and to Greeks or Gentiles or to the church of God. That does not now make the Gentiles part of the Scriptures addressed to the Gentiles. You know the Gentiles, those essentially who are outside of the church cannot read the scriptures if the scriptures are true because the Bible says that a person who doesn't know God yeah, who is not redeemed cannot understand the scriptures so if you're going to understand the scriptures the first step is God's got to redeem you yeah? God has got to redeem you now look at 1 Timothy 1.1 1, 1. Paul and Apostle, we're back into it now you ready for the speed reading again? 1 Timothy 1, 1, Paul, because remember why we're reading this, yeah? We're, re- we're reading it so we understand who the books of the scriptures are addressed to. And remember we started out when I said the subtitle, only addressed to the redeemed. <laughs> yeah, only addressed to the redeemed, not those who are outside. 1 Timothy 1, 1, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by command of God our Savior and of Christ Jesus our hope, to Timothy, my true child in the faith. Wow. 2 Timothy 2.1 Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, according to the promise of this life that is in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, my beloved child. Starting to get the message. Yeah, Titus 1.4 To Titus, my true child, in a common faith. Philemon 1.1 Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother. To Philemon, our beloved fellow worker, and Alphia, our sister, and Acropas, our fellow soldier. And the church in your house, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Wow. Hebrews 1.1. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us. Who's us? Those redeemed. Spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. Look at James 1.1. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. To the twelve tribes in the dispersion. First Peter 1 1. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. Do you see the address labels? Yeah? It's to the redeemed. Second Peter 1 1. Simon Peter, a servant of the apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of God and Saviour Jesus Christ. Hey, we're getting to the end now. First John, chapter 1. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us. 
and indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with the Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. See that? Fantastic. Second John 1, 1. The elder to the elect lady and her children, whom I love in truth, and not only I, but also all who know the truth, because of the truth that abides in us and will be with us forever. Third John 1, 1. The elder to the beloved Gaius, whom I love in truth. Do you see this? It's fantastic. Yeah. To get to the point that we understand who the gospel of Jesus Christ is addressed to. Yeah. Now bear in mind we haven't defined gospel yet. Yeah. Because that needs definition according to the scripture. Yeah, and we'll get into that maybe next week. And by the way, we're getting into you know I'm three or four sessions ahead here in my thinking. And we're going to be covering some areas of the scriptures that are going to be really challenging for all of us and may tip us over the edge with most of Christendom. <laughs> yeah, that's the good news. So Jude 1.1, 1, 1, Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, to those who are what? Called, beloved in God, the Father, and kept for Jesus Christ. Is that the outsiders? Yeah? Could be. Once you get out there, and start spreading the word of the kingdom. Some of these outsiders could be redeemed. We don't know that until we start sharing the word of the kingdom with them. Yeah. Hey, book of Revelation. This is a really interesting one now. Revelation 1 1. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show to his servants. That word servants is doulos. Bond servants of Jesus Christ, the things that must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant John who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that he saw. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy. And blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it, for the time is near, John, to the seven churches that are in Asia. Now, do you see who the book of Revelation is written to? Bond servants! Totally committed to the Lord Jesus Christ! And then you get people walking into your fellowship for the first time. So I can't really get a hold of that yeah. book of Revelation. You know, I picked it up the other day. No wonder. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You've got to be a bond servant. You've got to be an absolutely committed individual to understand that book. Yeah. yeah. So you wonder why people don't understand it. That's why. So we should be very clear now as to the, who the gospel of Jesus Christ is focused on. It's focused on God's redeemed. Do you get it? The reason we have the scriptures, the reason we have the Bible, the reason the gospel is there, yeah, and we're going to see next week what is the gospel, yeah, because it's defined in scripture and we've got to understand it. So when you hold up your Bible, because gospel means good news, so when you pick up your Bible and hold your Bible in your hand, pass me a Bible, Lisa. So you pick up your Bible, yeah, and you say, well, yeah, this is the gospel of Jesus Christ. But is it? This is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Absolutely, Jesus Christ is referenced in Genesis to Revelation and his life and ministry, it's all connected, as I said earlier. But there's a definition of his gospel yeah, that we're going to see. Because gospel means good news. Do you think this is all good news? Have you read the book of Revelation? There's some really bad news in there. For some. It's not all good news. But within this, it's a complete word of God. It's complete. And you can't, as I said earlier, differentiate. You can't separate the gospel out from this. 
But the gospel is defined, and we have to understand that definition yeah, as to how Christ defined the gospel of Jesus Christ, and we'll do that next week. Now, I want to cover a section now that makes it clear, and we've been looking at this for weeks now, yeah, but I want to cover this section, who Paul was focused on when he referred to winning people to Christ. And from years of my life, you know, I thought that was Paul out there, you know, bombarding the outsider with verses to, quote, save them. That's what I was doing. And that's what many of you were doing, up until probably fairly recently. So let's go to a section now that's often used to back that view. And that's exactly what it is, by the way. Someone's view, not what the scriptures actually say. Yeah. First Corinthians 9, 18. And that's where we're going to finish off and couple more verses to go. So 1 Corinthians 9, 18. What then is my reward? Yeah. Now, who's Corinthians addressed to? The redeemed? Yeah. Yeah. We've read that already. What then is my reward? That in my preaching I may present the what? The gospel. Free of charge. So as to make full use of my right in the what? The gospel. Yeah. For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all. Who do you think he was focused on? We're going to see in a minute. He was focused on the redeemed. He was focused on the elect. He wasn't serving the outsiders who hated God, didn't want to know him, were beating him up and kept trying to kill him. Yeah, which were a lot of them were redeemed, by the way. He was focused on the elect. A servant to all, that I might win more of them. Isn't that interesting? That I might win more of them. Now, he's talking about the servant to all, but he... And he goes on to say, that I might win more of them. He's talking about those he was ministering to. yeah, Those redeemed who he was ministering to, he was wanting to win more of them. But surely they were already won. They were redeemed, for goodness sake. They were the elect. What's he doing winning them? What's he wasting his time for? You see where we get discrepancies in our thinking when we start to think logically as to what he is saying. Without superimposing our own theological ideas onto it. What's he talking about? Verse 20. To the Jews I became a Jew. Now he's going on here to win more of them. They're Jews. They're redeemed. What's he doing trying to win them? Shouldn't he be going to the outsiders? Shouldn't he be going to persuade those who don't know God? They're Jews for goodness sake. And he's trying to win them. You're thinking, oh, that's really stupid. Yeah. What's he on? You know, he's, he's talking to the wrong people. No, he's talking to the right people. The church today, for the most part, are talking to the wrong people. See? To the Jews I became a Jew in order to what? Win the Jews. Win them to what we should be asking ourselves. To those under the law, hold on, under the law, they're under the Mosaic law, they're the redeemed. I became as one under the law, though not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. (laughs) Do you see that? Do we realize he's preaching to the Jews here? Do you remember when we went through Romans 10? He was preaching, remember Romans 1-7? Who it's addressed to? Yeah, it's in your notes. Romans 1-7 is addressed to those redeemed. And he's talking to them. Yeah? And he's trying to win them over to Jesus Christ the Messiah. He's trying to get them to stop going by the law, stop trying to get the righteousness by the law, yeah, in Romans 10, and he's trying to point them to Jesus Christ, the Messiah. See? They were already redeemed. 
That is not addressed to those outside of the church. Romans 10 is not addressed to those outside of the church. It's addressed to those who are inside, but need to be warned to the Messiah. They need to be warned to understanding that it's in the kingdom that we receive our salvation. Our redemption doesn't get us that. Our redemption doesn't get us that. We have to continue having been redeemed by God. Did you hear that? Having redeemed, not by somebody throwing hundreds of verses at you and you decide to walk to the front of the hall and pick up your Bible and stick your hand there. You get redeemed by God and then you get taught salvation. You start to walk in the will of the Father. You start to gain rewards in heaven. You start to regain gain your inheritance as you continue to walk faithfully for him in the present tense. It's a fantastic truth. But he's trying to win them. Win them to what? Yeah. Win them to what? It's going to cover in the next session. Or one of the sessions we're going to do. I'm not sure if we'll get to it in the next one. But look at verse 21. To those outside the law, I became as one outside of the law, not being outside of the law myself, but under the law, that I might win those outside of the law. To the weak, I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people. By all means, I might save some. Yeah. Now, the way this has been used in the past, and the way I've used it in the past, is that whatever it takes to get to these outsiders, to get the name of Jesus Christ into their ears, you do it. Yeah. But he's talking to those who are already redeemed. Yeah. But look at verse 23. I do it all for the sake of the what? The gospel. That I may share. Now, look at the tense of that. Aorist, middle, subjunctive. That I may share with them in its blessings. What blessings? The gospel's blessings. Yeah? What are the gospel's blessings? Well, we've got to define the gospel first, don't we? In order to understand that. We'll run out of time, so we won't be doing that today. But you see in verse 23, it's a may share in the blessings of the gospel. Yeah? So it's undefined as to the progress of the completion of the action. What does that immediately tell you? It's not a one-time event. And there's nothing for you to be able to gauge how close you are to it. And the subject is acting with reference to himself. But look at subjunctive. Expresses the idea of probable completion of the action of the verb with the possibility of the action of the verb failing to be completed. So Paul in Romans 10, for example, was teaching to the redeemed, his brothers, his Jewish redeemed brothers, but he knew that if they didn't get off that Mosaic law, that would happen. There was a possibility of the action of the verb failing to be complete. There was a chance that they would not receive their inheritance in the coming kingdom. Yeah. And that's why he poured his life and heart out to them. He even said at one point, look, I would give up Christ if you would only listen to this. <laughs> look at 2 Timothy 2.10. Therefore, I endure everything for who? Who's he enduring his whole life, his whole ministry, all the affliction that we've been reading about in the past series? For the sake of the elect. He doesn't say for the sake of the unelect, does he? But we're all missing this so much in the church. He's doing it for the elect. That they... Who? That the elect. The redeemed. Not the unredeemed. Or the outsiders. Yeah? Also may obtain the salvation. Do you see that? That they may obtain the salvation. 
that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. Now, verse 11, 12 and 13, yeah, remember that from last week? That had all the ifs in it. Yeah? It had all the conditional clauses, all the ifs in it, prior to that, that we saw. I wonder why. In the immediate context of what we just read, are a whole bunch of conditional clauses. If, yeah? Because salvation is a future conditional truth in the coming kingdom. If you endure. If you endure. If you die with him. Remember that. Now we're out of time now, but we're going to pick it up from here. It's actually going to be in a couple of weeks because uh, we don't do a live feed next week. So Heavenly Father, we thank you for the greatness of your truth. We thank you, Father, we can come back to your scriptures and understand who these scriptures are addressed to, Father, that we can come to a great understanding of these terms as we go back to your scriptures and allow the scriptures to define the terms, not our ideas, not our old theological teaching or anything else, Father, but the pure truth of your scripture. I thank you for those listening. I thank you for the eyes of our understanding being enlightened, Father, as we continue to delve only into the scriptures and that you, Father, can have, do a mighty work in everyone's life, a mighty work, Father, that you... You only you can do. Only your divine intervention can open up our eyes, open up our ears to the truth of the scripture. And I pray, Father, for everyone listening to this that that happens and that we can move forward as the redeemed, ensuring, Father, that we can do what it takes to enter into that kingdom and to get our full inheritance in that kingdom. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Amen. Oh,